Hey there, girl. Hey, how's it going? Fantastic. How are you today? I'm doing good. Good. Hey, we're going to jump right in this morning. This one's kind of long and, and involved, and we only have an hour worth of recording time, so we're going to jump right in here this morning. I am Tracy. I'm Samantha. This is The Suspended Sentence. Welcome on board. Welcome, welcome. So today we're going to be covering um, the Colleen Stan case. This is most commonly known and remembered for being the girl in the box case. Ugh. Okay. So I'm going to give a trigger warning for this. Um, this case does include um, have to deal with abduction and rape. So if that is not something that you would like to listen to, we've said it before, you're not going to hurt our feelings by not listening to this episode. We'll see you, ne- see you next time. Right. So she was born New Year's Eve, 1956, and her parents are Jack and Evelyn Stan. She was oldest of three daughters in Riverside, California. Colleen was very creative and loved poetry, but did not love school. <laughs> Most people can relate to can that. Can relate to that. So she dropped out at 16, and she was in love with her boyfriend, and they decided to move away and get married. So this lasted about a year before. Oh, how old was she? 16. Oh, my gosh. Okay. This lasted about a year before they got divorced, and she ended up moving back home. Okay. So after moving home, she meets a couple that she just really hits it off with. They become great friends. Uh... They have a two-year-old daughter, and they decide that they're going to move to Oregon and get become roommates and get a house together. Okay. So, like as a nanny or just like just roommates? Just as just roommates. Okay. She said that they were just, she just really liked them. They loved her. She loved their daughter. Okay. Just got along really well. So on May 19th, 1977, she told uh, the couple that she was going to go ahead and head to California to surprise one of her friends. The couple said that they would be able to drive her some of the way and that she would need to hitchhike the rest. Ugh. So let's say it with me. We say this before. Don't hitchhike, ladies. Let's not do that. <laughs> so this is something Colleen has done many times before. It's the 70s. She doesn't have a car. That's how she's getting around. Uh, so a, cu- a couple people, the couple drives her to the agreed spot. She said, I'll see you guys on Saturday. Well, Saturday came and went and she did not make it home. The couple thought, well, maybe she just extended the trip. This is before cell phones, so not super uncommon that she wouldn't have called to be like, hey, I'm extending. Right. And her mom did live nearby the friend that she was going to see. So her roommate calls Colleen's mom to see if she was there, and Evelyn, her mother, lets her know that she hadn't seen her or talked to her lately. Mm. So they go ahead and call the police in Westwood, California, where Colleen's friend lived. Um, her friend that she was going to be seeing didn't have, like, a house phone or a landline. Okay. So the police show up and kind of do like a welfare check. <clears throat> so when they get there, they find out that she never made it to surprise her and she hadn't heard from her either. And the friend wasn't expecting her because she was surprising her, right? Right. So, okay. So on May 19th, after she was dropped off, she accepted two rides and was about 100 miles from her destination. On this day, she said that she had turned away um, two other cart rides because she said she's got kind of, like, bad vibes. And she thought she was a really good character, like, judge of character for when it comes to hitchhiking. Okay. Um, so she said that she usually could, like, right tell if they were bad, like, bad vibes, you know. Okay. So she ended up, did, did oh my gosh, she did end up accepting a ride from a two-door blue Dodge Colt. Uh, in there was a man driving and a woman in the passenger seat holding a baby. Okay. So, nice little couple. She's like, that seems safe enough, right? I mean, this woman with a baby isn't going to do anything to me. Ha <laughs> ha. So, the couple seems to be around Colleen's age. 
the woman gets out and lets her um, lets her in to, into the back seat because it's a two door vehicle. And they make small talk about how the man's brother had told him about some really cool like ice caves that were in the area, and that's what they were out trying to find. She told them that she was on her way to see her friend, but didn't know she was coming, and she was on her way to surprise her. Okay, so lesson in that one, ladies. If we ever do accept ride from people we don't know, we don't tell people that nobody is into expecting us. <laughs> Someone is always waiting for you. No matter where you're going, they know I'm on my way. <laughs> Let's not tell people no one knows I'm where I'm heading. I'm hitchhiking with no means of communication and nobody knows where I'm at. Yeah, let's not let's not tell people that. So the driver noticed that Colleen would get really jumpy whenever he spoke to her. She started just to get kind of weird vibes. And so when he would talk, she was a little jumpy. And she also noticed that when it was silent in the vehicle, he was watching her in the rear view mirror, which started to make her really uncomfortable. They stopped at a gas station and she went in to use the restroom. Later, she says that when she was in that bathroom, she heard a voice telling her, there's a window right there, just leave. You don't have to go with them. But she needed the ride. She was tired, so she pushed that voice down. Mm. Uh, she got back in the car, and the guy brings up the caves again and asked if they w- if she would mind if they stopped to check them out along the way. She felt like she was not in the position to change their plans. They were doing her a favor. Yep. They get to the, the destination, and she doesn't see any cave. The woman in the car then gets out with the baby and starts walking up ahead. She does not have time to question what is happening or where they are because the man that is in the car climbs into the back seat with her and holds her at, gun, at knife point and handcuffs her, blindfolds her, gags her, gags her, and then puts a wooden box over her head and tells her to lay down on the seat and covers her with her sleeping bag. So this box had been sitting on the seat next to Colleen the entire time, but she was like, okay, it was just like a weird wooden box. This is a 20-pound box that was padded on the inside so that she couldn't, like, hear or see anything. And he, tell, like he said, he said, he told her to lay down, covered her with her own sleeping bag so it looks like nobody's in the backseat. The man uh, that was driving was 23-year-old Cameron Hooker, and the passenger was his wife, Janice. The baby was their real baby. Uh, so a little background on them. Janice and Cameron, um, Cameron, or Janice met Cameron when she was 15 and he was 19. After getting married, uh, after they got married, he brought up the idea to Janice about bond, trying bondage. Janice was not interested, but told her, uh, but he told her that all of his other girlfriends had done it, and if she wasn't going to let him do it, that he didn't think their relationship would work out. Oh, so he was really fascinated with like BDSM bondage, that whole, whole gig. So being sixteen and clearly starting to be groomed by a man that's starting to be pretty abusive towards her like mentally playing games with with Janice she agrees to give it a go uh so trigger warning here Cameron would take her into the woods tie her to a tree by her wrist and then whip her until she was covered in welts oh my god he then asked if he could try taking it to the next level by tying her up and putting her in the creek the first time he did this she almost drowned she said in the beginning that she kind of liked this, though. Not not the actual act, but the fact that after the abuse, he would hold her, tell her how proud of her he was, how much, how, like, how in love with her he was. And she's 16 years old. So she said it was worth the pain. Oh, my gosh. This sex life continued, and she determined that she would, that really what she wanted to be was to be a mom. And But she knew that this couldn't happen while she was pregnant, so she thought that would be, like, the way to end 
this phase of their life. Uh, but it got to the point where he threatened to kill her if she tried to leave him or if she would stop participating. He tells Janice about how what he really wants to find is a non-willing participant that he can make a sex slave. I wish you could see Tracy's face. <sighs> so Janice makes a deal with him and says, if you let me have a baby, you can find yourself a sex slave. But her deal with this is they he couldn't have, I know I'm going to say this wrong, like, penetrative sex with her. Okay. So, everything but... Actual. Actual sex. Which doesn't make this any better. So, it's very clear. So, the BDSM community wants to make it very, very clear that their main rule is consent. And what he's wanting is not consent. Right. He wants rape. So, that is not what they stand for. That is their biggest thing. They do not want to be associated with saying Right. That's what he was doing, because that's not what he was doing. No. So Janice gets pregnant, and at this point, uh, she, uh, and up until the point she gave birth, they w- she would come out very pregnant and help him, quote, hunt. Trying to find a woman. So at home, he was in the basement, building that head box to use on a victim that he was preparing to keep in his basement. Uh, he built a rack that he built by himself and he installed hooks hanging from the ceiling oh my god so flash forward back to the day that colleen was kidnapped she's laying in the back seat where she could not hear or see anything with that box on her head well and it's padded on the inside too so nobody can and you can scream and it's not it's sound like yeah. pretty soundproof uh so she can tell that the car stops though at some point and someone reaches over to take the box off her head and she smells food in the front seat janice and cameron are eating cheeseburgers which grosses me out. So when they're done, they don't feed her. They're just sitting up there. They're like, oh, we can use stuff and watch us eat cheeseburgers. When they're finished eating, they put the box on her head again and begin driving. The next time the car stops, they would be at 1131 Oak Street, which is the couple's house. So I'm not going to go into full detail about what happened. I'm just going to give kind of an overview because it makes me nauseous. So no, I'm thank you. So I don't want to do that. So it was dark when they arrive. The head box is taken off and Cameron leads Colleen into the house and into the basement. Immediately she is hung from the ceiling and all of her clothing removed where he whips and sexually assaults her. Um, she says that she blacked out during from the pain during this. And when oh she wakes up, God. the couple are, when she wakes up, the couple are having sex underneath her hanging from the ceiling. This is sick. So when they are done, Janice goes upstairs and uh and he removes her from the ceiling and places her into a box that now her body fits in. There are chains in there to tie up her hands, and he ties up her feet and then places the head box on it as well. So he did this so she can't, like, kick the box and punch it and try to escape. Uh, he said he did. He was not saying any words to her, and she said, I can't breathe. Like, I'm really claustrophobic. I can't breathe. And his response to this was to tie a rope really tight around her chest to make it harder. She said that for those first few nights that he would randomly just come downstairs and just touch her. She says she doesn't know if this was to see if she was breathing still or if it was to scare her, what that was. But, so that's how her first few weeks were. She was just in this few box. weeks. Oh, my God. So, for the next week, she would either be in the box or being hung from the ceiling while Cameron would be building things in the basement. Colleen would live in this house for seven years. Oh, my God. 
What Cameron was building was a larger box that he would that he had lined with her sleeping bag. He left her naked at all times, and the box was kept under the couple's bed for years. So she slept underneath their bed in a box. Uh, for years, she was only let out of the box for food and to be assaulted. After the first few months, Cameron told her that she could wear a nightgown and remove her blindfold because she was blindfolded this entire time. He didn't want her seeing anything. Uh, and this was alarming because she was had been living in dark and she was like, okay, if he wants me to see things, she's, he's going to probably kill me. Like, that means he's done with me, right? He handed her a contract and told her that her new name would be Kay and that she was now his property. So there's a lot of really gross things that are inside this contract, like how she's not allowed to cross her legs when she's around him, she's not allowed to wear underwear, and she had to wear a collar because she's now property. Oh my God. Um, from his idea, from a B he said he got this idea from a BDSM paper and played around with the rules so that they would fit his needs. Janice went ahead and typed it up and printed it out. He then tells her about the company this is a, he said that he worked for the company and that they traded, it was a trade for sex slaves. And that he had been raised in the company, that his father, his brother, everybody was a member of the company. And if she tried to escape, the company would find and kill her. And if she tried to tell her family, the company would go and kill them. So the company's not real. He's just trying to yeah. brainwash and scare her. So he made a bunch of fake documents to show her that proved that the company was real. He told her that he had other slaves before that had tried to escape and had flagged down a cop who was also a member of the company. And so uh, she got scared and she signed his contract. After signing, he gave her an identification card from the company that had a photo of her, her new name, all of this. And that was her card that she was supposed to carry around with her. After signing, she he told her that she was allowed to have some freedoms, like now she was allowed to clean their house, cook their food, and take care of their baby. Their baby that's seven now, right? So they end up having two kids. Okay. And this is still kind of at the beginning, so I was giving you a hint that this is a seven-year Oh, ordeal. okay. So sometimes they would not feed her, and one night she was led out into the car, and they all of a sudden showed up at a mobile home and they were and she was told this is your new home they needed to find somewhere where more secluded they said other times she was allowed out for months um, at a time and during the trial a psychologist said that this is something that abusers will do they'll give you something so that they can take have something to take away from you she was let out you mean out of the box yeah Oh, for months at a time where she wouldn't have to sleep in the box. She'd be allowed to sleep on the couch. Oh, my God. And so the psychologist said that's he was doing that so that 100% he could take it away from her. You bet. Like, as a punishment, you're back in the box. Later, Cameron would allow her to even go for runs and work in the garden. But he was always watching. One time he told her, yes, you can go for a run, and then followed her with a car and said, but if you ever stop, I'll hit you with my car. You know, stop until you're back at the house. At this point, Janice and Cameron had two daughters. Janice got a night job, um, and at this point, he quote-unquote allowed her to sleep in the bathroom where she would be chained to the toilet so that she could watch the children during the day. Eventually, Colleen was allowed to call her family. He told her that she could even go see them, 
if she could convince him that she won't tell them what's happening and she won't try to run away. The next day, um, he takes her to go see her family in March of 1981, but Cameron said he had to stop at the company headquarters first and that he had to go in and speak to them first and that they would come out to, to get her to interview her. He pulls up to this big building, leaves her in the car, comes back and says, oh, you got off easy. They don't need to see you. They said to have a good time. How many years did he have her before he let her see so, the, his, her family? She was abducted 77, and this is 81. Okay, so plenty of time. Plenty of time. So she just shows up unannounced at her mom's house. So hasn't spoken to her mom, nothing in years. In and five years, shows four up. years, yeah. And she said... She told her mother that her and Cameron were engaged and that he was taking a class near the home, so it was a good, seemed like a good time to visit. The family thought that this was really weird, but they didn't want to, like, ask too many questions and her yeah. mom come back and visit, you know? Mm-hmm. So they all thought that she had joined a cult. They were like, okay, like, something weird's going on. She probably joined, like, some weird cult. Uh, Colleen's parents had been, had gotten divorced during the time that she was gone and remarried others, and she had siblings that she didn't know about that she was meeting for the first time. After 24 hours, a 24-hour visit with her family, Cameron said it was time to go, and she said her goodbyes. She said that she wanted to whisper to her mom what was happening, but she was so scared that they were going to kill her family. They were there for 24 hours? Yeah. Wow, okay. So when they got home, she was told that she would be going back into the box. So sees her family, great little time. She does what she's supposed to, gets back. He's like, all right, back in the box, which she's been out of for months. Mm Mm-hmm. But before, she said, they said that she needed to go and say goodbye to her, their neighbors since she was going to be in there for the longest. She was in the box from 1981 until 1984. Oh, my God. Cameron would only let her out to feed her and to abuse her. Oh, my God. And to change her bedpan. Holy so then, shit. In 1984, he lets her out to come and help him build his new underground room under the shed that he said will now be Colleen's room. He then told her um, that he they soon will have four girls down there living with her and that she will be in charge of training all of his new women. Colleen says um, she does not hate the underground room because it isn't as hot as it is in the box during the summer and in the winter camera would give her a heater. The following winter, the basement began to flood. But a bigger issue arose for Janice and Cameron when their two daughters had a cousin over. And now they're like six and I don't know how old the youngest one's like four or five. uh, Have a cousin over and the rule of the house was that they were never allowed to go into any of the sheds. Clearly. Right. Well, the cousin doesn't listen to this and goes in. And to get into the basement room, there was just a hole that you like... Like some Hannibal Lecter crap. like, <clears throat> And Janice comes out and sees the, the kids looking into the hole into the room in the basement. Cameron was really worried that the cousins were going to tell their parents or someone else, but nothing ever came from this. Cameron and Janice decide that after this, uh, that the jet shed is not a safe place to keep Colleen, and he puts her back in the box under their bed. Uh, they kept her here for a couple weeks just to make sure no one would come to investigate. But once Cameron or Colleen was let out, Cameron told her that the company had given her a fine for almost being caught, so she would need to get a job to pay off that. Colleen got a job as a maid at a lodge, and she was very close with Dolores, the lodge's owner. 
Laura thought the living arrangement with Colleen that Colleen described was weird. She had told her that she was living in the living room and that Janice was like a sister, but she gave Janice and Cameron her entire paycheck. Doris states she thought that this was strange, but she didn't know what she could do about it. She was like, just because it's like weird doesn't mean anything's like yeah. wrong. Colleen still, believe, still believes in the company at this time, so she is very careful not to tell uh, Doris too much personal information because she's scared of what the, that the company is always listening. Janice and Colleen had a very weird relationship at this point. The first few years, Janice was very jealous of Colleen. Um, but now, she and Janice are beginning to bond over the study of the Bible. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> Janice and Colleen begin to have Bible study, but of course, Cameron has rules for this as well. While the women can read the Bible, they had to wear a ski mask over their face. Cameron calls these their prayer hats. He said this was um, needed because back in the day, ladies were not to be, not supposed to be seen while praying. During their Bible study, Janice and Colleen discover that they have a lot in common and focus on the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. In the Bible, Sarah and Abraham are married but they can't have a baby. So Sarah tells Abraham that in order to have their baby, that he would need to use their slave, Hagar. These people are crazy. Of course, Janice leans um, very far into this and correlates it to their situation. She's like, well, like I couldn't be yeah. this for him, so she's our Hagar. So they decide that they will be changing Colleen, who they've been calling Kay, her name to Hagar. And Janice would like to be referred to as Sarah now. Oh my gosh. Okay. <clears throat> Cameron allows the women to begin going to church together on Sundays. Shocker, he didn't want to attend. Probably because he'd catch on fire if he walked in the building. Right. Lightning strike. <laughs> At church, they became very, very close with their pastor. So Colleen has been with Janice and Cameron for seven years at this point, And Janice starts to kind of feel bad about this. She's like humanizing her now. She's like not just the woman that her husband's abusing her buddy now her bible church going friend mm. so now she's humanized right well her hopes of letting cameron get another woman bring another woman into the house did not stop janice from being abused as well as colleen uh so that didn't it didn't stop anything it was just now two women being brutally abused by this man instead of just one during the trial, they showed pictures of that Cameron had taken of Janice, very pregnant, hung from that same ceiling. Oh, this man is disgusting. So at church, Janice learns that her husband has been using the Bible against her because now she's learning what the Bible actually says. She's going to church. It's not just what Cameron's shoving down their throat. And learning that because he's like, well, I'm the man. I can do whatever I want. The Bible says you follow what your husband says. Mm -hmm. I can have as many wives and women as I want. I can do this and do this. And then she's like, at church, she's like, yeah, that's what it says, but that's not what it means. And right. so she's like, okay, might be getting a little. That's what it says, but you took it completely out of context because that's not <laughs> what it says. To fit your propaganda. Right. So on August 9th, 1984, Janice just randomly shows up at the lodge while Colleen's there cleaning. And she says, walks in and tells her the entire truth about everything. She tells her the company is not real, no one has been watching her, and that they need to escape. Colleen finishes her day of work because uh, she couldn't tell Dolores what was going on. She was like, if we can't get away tonight, people can't know, like he'll hurt us. Janice comes and picks her up, and they go to church and speak with the pastor, and the women tell him everything from the last seven years. 
He told, tells them to go home and pack up everything and leave immediately. The problem is, it's the end of the day. Cameron is about to be home. So the women have to survive one more night in the house. Janice tells Cameron that she is not feeling well and that she's just going to sleep in the living room with Colleen that night. When Cameron leaves for work the next morning, Janice and Colleen pack up everything and they drop the children off at Can uh, Jan Janice's parents' house. Colleen and Janice talk about getting a place together because now they're like friends, right? The last year they've been... They're friends. They're friends. They're okay. going to get a house. All right. Well, Colleen says, as they're talking about this, that voice that she heard in the bathroom all those years ago comes back and tells her to get away from her. Yeah. She calls her father and he wires her money for a bus ticket. She does not give him information about what's happening, just tells him that she needs money to come and see her. He immediately sends it. Absolutely. But before getting on the bus, Colleen calls Cameron and she says, quote, I just wanted to tell you I am leaving you. I know you lied about everything and you can't keep me here anymore. She said Cameron began hysterically crying on the phone and she hung up. She gets to her family home, tells her family everything about what happened, and they're like, we're going to the police right now. Yeah. And she said, no, I just want to move on. No. She said Janice had told her that she believed that she could fix Cameron and that it would be bad for their children if he went to prison. She, she said that her and Colleen owed him the chance to change. They um. owe him the chance. This case makes me so mad. Janice spent only a week away from Cameron before bringing the kids back to him. She starts going to church with him, which he starts going with her. He's a changed man now. Mm -hmm. And one night she said she woke up and he was like really tense and she said, let's just go outside and burn it all. They walk outside and burn all of the pictures that he had taken, most of the pictures he had taken of Colleen, his BDSM magazines, and most of his torture equipment. She's getting rid of evidence. Yeah. <clears throat> Janice made a new friend at church and Janice tells her everything about Colleen. And her friend is like, you need to go to the police and report all this. And she was like, no, no, no. Her friend goes, what is stopping him from doing this to your daughters? They're getting older. What is stopping him from starting on your daughters? She said that this was what made it real for her. She went to the police and turned her husband in for kidnapping and murder. Murder? Mary Elizabeth Spanky on January 31st, 1976, accepted a ride from the couple. She did not know the area very well. She had just moved here two months earlier from Cleveland to live with her fiancé. She was walking that day because her and her fiancé had gotten a fight at the grocery store and she said she was walking home. By February 2nd, she still had not returned and he was filed a missing person. He thought maybe she just needed, like, got a hotel and, like, needed to cool off. They'd been in a big fight. She didn't come home. Cameron had been out hunting that day when she was walking and gave her a ride. The exact same thing happened. She went, to, except he took her to her house and as she was getting out, put her head in the box. Same thing, stopped for cheeseburgers. Same thing as Colleen, took her into the basement, hung her from the ceiling, assaulted her. But the thing, the difference here is, this was the first woman he had abducted. Yeah. He said that she was yelling too loud and shot her twice in the stomach with a pellet gun. She kept yelling louder due to this, and he said he, and Janice said she, he tried to cut out her vocal cords to make her stop screaming. She kept making noise, and so he strangled her and killed her. Oh my god. She had been wearing a gold watch when she had been abducted. I hate this story. Yeah. Well, it's about to make you even more angry. 
he, she had been wearing a gold watch that he wore for years afterwards. They drove her to a secluded area and buried her. She, Janice tried to help police trying to find where she was buried, but she said that it had been snowing when they buried her, and when it was no snow, she didn't know where she was. Cameron was arrested on November 18th for kidnapping, assault, and false imprisonment, but without the body of Maria Elizabeth, they could not charge him with murder. So to this day, they haven't found her. Mm. Found her. But they did call her fiance, who has been a prime suspect, and were like, hey, so we think we know what happened. And Mm. he said he was really grateful for that call because her parents died thinking that he did something to her. Mm. Just heartbreaking. During the trial, Cameron tried to convince the jury that Stan had um, consensual sex and that they had had consensual sex and that she had fallen in love with him and that's why she stayed. She stayed because she wanted to. Oh, okay. Cameron was convicted. Um, so the jury didn't believe him and his claims and he was found guilty of seven out of eight counts of kidnapping and rape of Colleen. Cameron was convicted in 1985 and was sentenced to 104 years in prison for kidnapping Colleen and keeping her as a sex slave. After Cameron was sentenced, the judge stated that Cameron was, quote, the worst psychopath he has ever dealt with in his life. hmm So, there's little known about Janice since the trial. She's changed her last name. She divorced Cameron while he was in prison. That was going to be my question. What did she get? Nothing. She got nothing. She turned him in, and the police gave her immunity. She changed her last name and has ra- and raised her two daughters. She did not receive a single day of jail time. You are fucking kidding me. Not a single day. She was an accessory and accomplice to all of it. It was her idea. Hey, instead of abusing me, let's find you someone else to do it to. And I understand she was groomed. She was No, no, no. What the hell? Uh, No. Oh, my God. She was a part of it. She was a part of it the exact same way. It's said in there, she's having sex with him underneath an innocent person that's hanging from the ceiling naked who he had just assaulted. Yep. And she's having sex with him right underneath her body. Yeah. Not a single day in jail. Immunity. She went along with all of it. Bore his children, cooked his meals, took care of him, lived in his home, covered it up, made excuses. Complete immunity. Oh my God. So, good thing she changed her last name. Every woman in this country would be coming after her. Well, in June of 2022, Cameron headed back to the courtroom to establish establish if he was eligible for parole. Cameron originally became eligible for parole in 2015 because of California's elderly parole program. His parole was denied in 2015. Good. However, however, I'm not going to like this, am I? Attorney Matthew Rogers told ABC 7 News, quote, because of changes to California's sentencing law, his sentence has been re- reduced down based on challenge- changes to credit calculations and things like that. Yep. He added, quote, a judge heard the evidence from the state doctors and determined that there is pr- probable cause to believe that Hooker does meet the definition of a sexual violent predator. Obviously. How is that a question? Obviously he's a violent sexual criminal. What? So, 
He was released on parole. No, he wasn't. No, he was not. Are you serious? And he attended... <laughs> let me find it. The, in 2022, he was released on parole to the California Department State Hospital in their Sex Offender Management Board Program. Now, I asked you before starting this, and I didn't. you didn't even know what the case was. I just asked you to conduct some thoughts. But before you give that to me, I just want to read you what their website says that they do. From their direct website. This is moving too fast. How many How many years did he serve? Uh, he got arrested he was, in 85, came out in 2020. Oh, my God. That's... <laughs> okay. From the California Department of State Hospital's website, they stay, as required by law, treatment here is voluntary. Treatment is provided by a team which includes psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers, psychiatrist technicians, and nurses. The fundamental goal of the sex offender treatment program is for the individual to acquire social skills and to prevent reoccurrence of sexual offending. This program uses a combined approach in order to strengthen the individual's self-regulation skills to prepare him for a life free of sexual offending. The intensity of treatment is matched on the individual's risk level of reoffending, so the high-risk offenders receiving more intense and extensive treatment. It is usually only through the participation of this treatment that an individual can be eligible to be placed in the conditional release program where they're released back to the public. But once again, like, let's go back to the first line. This treatment is voluntary. You can leave at any time. They yep. say that it's a condition, but he can walk out of there whenever he would like to walk out. So, when I was doing the research on this, I called Tracy because, as we know, Tracy's the one to go to when we have, like, questions. And I was like, what is this state hospital where you informed me that that's a halfway house? So I just want to kind of pass this off to you before I continue on our halfway houses. Like, what is that? First off. <laughs> Second, is he going to be like a stand-up American citizen after this? Or no. Or what's going to happen? No. So I'm going to throw the torch so to you for a little I, bit. I wish you would have asked me the question before you told me this case because, you know, I mean, that's a disgusting case. This is a disgusting human being. He's disgusting. And I really wish that, I really hope that they find that body so that he can be charged with murder so that he goes back to where he belongs, which is rotting in his cell. Maybe a box, maybe a small box with <laughs> another box around his fucking head. Literally. Because what he did to that woman, I, my God. I mean, he could probably, you know, do torture for, you know, secret service or something. Like that is horrendous yeah that woman is never ever ever going to be the same that is that is generational trauma that seriously oh my god so let me try and proportion my mind back over to okay. like the the what I preach all the time right the objective clear-headed whatever about halfway houses well, and programs like this okay and then I'll get to how it relates to him because okay. I've got so much to say well I just feel like I had to hit that at the end because those crimes, you think, oh, he's for sure in jail for the rest of life, not chilling, not in prison. Yeah, and this is, I mean, this is why our prison reform program, our criminal justice system needs to be revamped. Because just because there isn't a dead body doesn't mean there isn't a dead goddamn soul. Right. 
because he, I am sure that during those, I mean, I get emotional when I, like, yeah. I am sure that there were so many moments in those seven years, nine years, whatever, that he had her, that she wished that she was dead. Oh, 100%. That killing her would have been less painful than what he did to her. And what she did to her also, because Janice was just a, oh my God. Okay. Halfway houses are programs that are like this. They're called halfway houses. They're called rehabilitation centers. They have a million different names. It varies from state to state. Some of them are state run. Some of them are federally run. They are everywhere. There's, I think, maybe like 600 different centers throughout the United States that do this, right? Um, it's not a secret that we have a prison overpopulation crisis in America. America, I've said this before also, America houses more of its citizens than any other country in the world in jail. We imprison people at a ridiculous rate. And so the government is constantly looking for alternatives to prison. And they come up with what I call spin cycle and bullshit programs that some of them work, some of them don't, some of them, and we try to identify the people who can be helped and the people who cannot, right? So prison, obviously people who are murderers, serial killers do horrendous crimes. Not that this isn't horrendous, but there's a level, right, mm -hmm. that's defined by law. Those people will never be eligible for programs like this, okay? Sex crimes, I don't know why. I don't know why except maybe men write these laws and they don't understand. No, seriously, because sexual trauma changes the chemical makeup of our brains. Sex, sexual crimes to women are, it changes us. Yeah. And if you've never experienced that, you go, oh yeah, that's bad. But if you've never experienced it, it's not, oh, that's bad. It's changes you. And not for the better. It, it is horrific. Bruises heal, right? Trauma like that doesn't ever go away, right. ever. And your mind is amazing and it can protect itself and it can make you forget certain things. The body always remembers. And I don't know why the American criminal justice system looks at sexual crimes, sexual assault, rape, torture, as as less significant as murder because it's it's not yeah i mean it, it, you know what i mean yeah but we view sex sexual offenders as people who can be rehabilitated people who can be fixed people that can be whatever okay so these centers take this population of people and they say Okay, let them serve their time in prison and then put them out on parole and give them to us and we'll rehabilitate. Do you know what rehabilitate means? No. Rehabilitate means to recreate. Oh. Okay. So I'm a huge proponent on the differentiation between the word rehabilitate and habilitate. You cannot rehabilitate people. You have to habilitate people. Rehabilitate means to recreate. Recreate a life and existence prior to committing a crime. Why would you do that? Habilitate means to create something new, to create a new line of thinking, to create a new way of existing, to create a whole new existence all around. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there are these rehabilitation centers where they throw therapy, work, education, all of these things at them to put them in the best position that they can 
to exist in public. Okay, so it's like a it's like a, a dorm room for lack of a better word. Locked doors, curfews, major rules, cameras, the whole everything. I mean, it's I mean it's a no joke facility, right? Some of them are some of them are locked, some of them are not. Um, but they have major rules that they have to follow. Um, there are work release programs in many of these, and they slowly reintroduce them to society. So they have jobs. They get out, you know, on like personal leave to go and go to the movies or go on a date or whatever. They have access to telephones. They have access to the internet. They have access to all of these things. They slowly reintegrate them into society. Okay. Do they work? Well, first of all, you know how many people are in these programs? How many? Tons, hundreds of thousands of people. Um, predominantly only 13% of the, of the people who are in these are female. But again, we know from, from past, um, episodes that women don't make up a large percentage of the prison population, only about six or 7% of the prison population is predominantly male. Right. But so in the United States, if you take everybody who has ever committed a crime and then, and has gone through the criminal justice system, the recidivism rate in the United States for those people is between 70 and 80%. So most people who who have been in trouble with the law will reoffend, will wow. get in trouble within the first five years of being released. Wow. Now with, with halfway houses or these rehabilitation programs afterwards, Samantha, it's really, really difficult to say whether or not they're effective or not, and here's why. There isn't a lot of data. Information is not released to the public for their protection, for the inmates' protection. Mm. You know, forget about society. Let's protect them. Protect Cameron Hooker, Chana. Right. Um, the, the information isn't released. And here's here's another part that's huge, okay? And and. Anybody that's in the field will say that this is bullshit, but somebody who has been in the field, I will tell you it is not bullshit. These facilities operate on federal and state money. If they have bad numbers, they aren't going to continue to get funding. Right. Okay, so, I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, if you, want, if you want to continue to have your doors open. You got to play the game. You've got to play the game. You've, you've got to keep going. Some, some programs say that, or some statistics will say that, that these programs have a, a 30 to 40% success rate. Others will say that they have a 93% success rate. It's, we don't know. The information is not released. It isn't monitored. It isn't, we don't, we don't know. We have no idea. But um, some of them, I mean, the, the reports that come in from the house halfway houses, the information and the numbers that they give are so startlingly different. Different, like I said, some of them thirty percent, some of them say ninety three percent. But it depends on what programs they have, what resources they they provide to the people. Who knows? Now studies will show that people who go through really good programs with a lot of resources, with the appropriate amount of monitoring, freedom resources, pulling back, et cetera, those people will have a 43% or 40, somewhere around there, less chance of reoffending than other people who are just on regular parole. But again, that's not super significant. Right. 
again, because over 70% will reoffend within the first five years of being out, right? Right. So, so who knows? Who knows? I don't know. I'm not a fan of these programs. If you, if you, I mean, for the majority of people, I think that it has to be a very, very select people. Now, the severity index that you, <laughs> that, that is used to determine the risk of a person, it's self-reporting. Yeah. So, I mean, if you took it, I don't, I don't like these forms either because, I mean, how often do you think about? How often do you do it? And it's self-reporting. So if somebody wanted to be manipulative and, and lie, which clearly this dude does, you could clearly, you know, throw all of these. Unless you're going to have a psychiatrist come in and do a behavioral, like, in-depth psyche bell on this guy to to do it, you're not going to get crap out of those four-second long one-page reports, self-reporting assessments. Absolutely not. And a lot of people say that people with, that are sex crime or um, offended, oh my gosh, who have been convicted of sex crimes will not reoffend once they've been caught. Okay. So let's move them into, you know, your neighborhood next to your daughters and let's see, shall we? Right. Shall we? Is that a risk that you want to take? And here's my other issue specifically with this dude is when he started, it wasn't sexually driven. It was power and control because when he tied her to, did the underwater stuff and the first time he didn't ever have sex with her. He didn't ever... It was about power and control. This is torture. This isn't sex. Yeah, well, and because Janice didn't even want him penetrating her. And he didn't. So, and he I would, think that's what the whole, like, he probably got off on the power and that's why he was having sex with Janice after abusing Colleen. And that's probably what the whole sex underneath her thing was. <clears throat> but... He's disgusting. He's disgusting, he's disgusting and he's sick. And the only place that I think that he should be other than prison is perhaps a mental hospital well so that's here the thing so we're going to continue on now oh god there's more there's more my love so colleen has continued to push for cameron to be behind bars good clearly and obviously is there a petition we can sign to support her i'm getting there so she tells ABC7, quote, what if he gets out? What if he comes for your daughter? What if he gets out and he goes after your granddaughter, your wife? What about us? What about us that have survived these crimes? How come we're not important? How come Seriously. only uh, his rights are important? What about my rights? Why are my rights not important? Right. She continued, we hear stories of people that have been lit out early all the time and then they just go out and reoffend." So, this is heartbreaking. I started researching this the last week of March. It was the 28th, to be exact, that I started research. And I'm do to do Googling, Googling, Googling. Cameron had court March 27th of this year. Oh, interesting. The day before. So, I was like, okay, well, if that is a sign that I need to, like, do this episode, I don't know what is. Uh, that court case was to determine if he was going to be listed as that violent sexual predator, like yeah. we stated. If he was convicted, which we haven't, I checked this mo- or I checked this morning, and it's about a week out, a little over a week that, from there. Um, I ha- I haven't seen if he's been convicted. So as soon as we get the, the ruling, ruling has been on out. that, 
we will release that. If he is, then he will be sentenced to go to a mental facility. If he's not, he's free and clear. Today? He's not going to be free and clear. He'll in, be on parole. Yeah. But, I mean, he isn't going to be... It, well, different. I mean, it's not. I mean, but but he'll be out, which is which pisses me off. Today, Cameron Hooker is 69 years old. So he's still young enough that he could do something. He's 70, but weirder things have happened than 70-year-old I don't care about his age. Men. Yeah, no. Um, and he's being looking and is looking into being released into is and is looking into being released into the community by our government. There is a change.org petition to keep him at least in the mental health facility and not free on our streets. Good. What is it? You just go to change.org and type in Cameron Hooker. It'll pull it up. How do you spell his last name? Just like my cooker. H-O-O-K-E-R? Yep. Okay. We will put that link on our Instagram. Please go and sign it. he's disgusting. I don't want him around. No, he's more than disgusting. I don't want him around. Colleen does not deserve to be living afraid that this man is somewhere she doesn't deserve to be and like she's right her rights matter too absolutely i get that it's the justice system and everybody's got their rights bullshit her rights are more important he did this to her right she didn't have a choice he did he took her and janice away. where is she no idea she's off the grid she changed her last name and living the good life yeah good for her good for her i say very sarcastically Thanks for sitting through that with us. It's a um, hard one, but... It sucks. Please visit our Instagram page. Please help support this this poor woman. I know. Disgusting. All right. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Bye. Stay safe.